Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, Bonnie in the house. Welcome, 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 welcome to our listeners all over the world. This is the last show of this season for Future of Cars, and we're looking forward to their renewing for 2020. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Soren Kierkegaard. Haven't heard that name in a long time. A Danish philosopher, theologian poet, social critic, and religious author, widely considered to be the first existentialist philosopher. He lived from 1813 to 1855, so that harks way, way back. Here's what Kierkegaard said. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So that sets us up nicely for what we're going to be talking about today. We're just about to end 2019. I don't know if it's affecting all of you around the world, but it's it's getting into my brain and I'm thinking, seriously, we've lived through Y2K, we've lived through the 2000 aughts, we're just finishing up the 2010, the teens, and now we're about to go not just into a new year, but a new decade. Oh my. So on this show, Future of Cars with Game Changers this year, we've covered a lot of topics about the ongoing transformation across across the automotive industry. We've talked about the automotive enterprise's intelligent future. We've talked about becoming customer-obsessed as the key to automotive industry disruption. Wouldn't we all love that, as some of us are still car owners? We've talked about top-of-mind IT, talked about diversity in automotive and manufacturing, the shifting culture in the automotive industry, seeking new talent. We've talked about driving to the cloud for automotive suppliers. There's a pun in there, driving to the cloud. We've talked about the concept, the challenge of make versus buy automotive software development. Do they make it in-house? Do they buy it? Do they hire consultants to do it for them? And we've talked about bridging the gap between Deloitte and Sil- Detroit and Silicon Valley, and we've talked about automotive centers all over the world. Now on the show today, I have two very special guests who are going to help us look back at 2019, what actually happened, and look ahead to 2020. Specifically, we're going to have an eye on the future of mobility in cities. How does it affect us as city dwellers, urban dwellers, or if you're not, you, drivers, car manufacturers, transportation companies? So much to talk about. What will be the business models? I have two very special guests on today. We'll be speaking when they've both been on before. Santa Ballet, solution expert at SAP in Ashwin Manapali, strategic projects lead in the IBU automotive at SAP. So the topic for today is the future of mobility unplugged, and I have a special shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, who has been sponsoring the show all year. And hint, hint, Judy, we're looking forward to your coming back in 2020. So without further ado, welcome to the Future of Cars with Game Changers. And now I'm going to have my guests introduce themselves briefly. So Cinta Belay, let's catch up with you. How have you been? And tell us what you're doing these days. Go ahead, Cinta. Absolutely, Bonnie. It's really great to be back as well. So, I mean, I've uh, been doing this uh, almost nine years in the travel and transportation world. Uh, it has been a ride. So, mobility has been coming, you know, from a bit of a siloed approach to more and more uh, collaborations. Uh, data is, is, is playing a lot. And we see a lot of different chains coming up 
in different cities and different regions. So collaboration is coming up. Mobility as a service is getting more and more trendier. And in some places, it's going also very practical. So I've uh, been in this industry for a while. And nowadays, I'm really focusing on how the future of transportation, especially people movement in, in cities, are, are unfolding. So really great times and looking forward, actually, for 2020. So there's a lot of new things that, that are coming up. Thank you. We're going to be talking about those. Santa, welcome back. Very, very happy to hear your voice again. It's been way too long. I don't care if it's been six months, a year, or two years. It's way too long. And now let's turn to our other guest, Ashwin Manapali. Ashwin, please introduce yourself to the audience in case they, by chance, forgot all about you. We want to remind them. So tell us, what's your background and what are you doing these days at SAP? It's a pleasure to be back, Bonnie. Uh, Thank you. I'm with the Automotive IBU. We're doing some really cool stuff around trying to think of the future and help our clients kind of navigate that very challenging future. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but the challenges that they're facing are really hard technical and business problems. So it's going to be really fun to kind of map and help, you know, go on that journey with our customers. Thank you very much. I'll, I will get around later in the show to asking you what your driving preferences will be in 2020 and beyond, but let's let's save that as, a, as an interesting uh, part of the crystal ball predictions round for the end of the show. So if you're new, a new listener to this show, and I can't imagine anybody hasn't heard the future of cars with game changes before, but just in case, uh, this is the part of the show where I have asked my guests in advance to send me a quote that has on the surface absolutely nothing to do with our topic of the future of mobility unplugged. And just an inspirational quote, a provocative quote from a person, a book, a song, a movie. And we have two uh, really interesting quotes from them. And then they're going to, in their own words here on the air with me now, they're going to relate the quote to the topic. And this is where we get to hear my guests think out loud. We get to hear how they speak and how articulate they are on this topic. So first up, Santa Belay has sent us a quote from Winston Churchill. If anybody doesn't know who that is, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer hyphen Churchill, 1874 to 1965, British politician, army officer, and writer. He was the Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45 when he led Britain to victory in the Second World War, and then he resumed that post from 51 to 55, and you can all look up and read all kinds of things about him, and there have been movies made about his time during the war leading up to it, so go ahead and look him up if you don't know who he is. But here's the quote, and it's a good one, Santa has selected, from Winston Churchill. It is always wise to look ahead, but difficult to look further than you can see. Santa, this is a beautiful quote to live by. Tell me, how did you find this and how does it relate to our topic about mobility in the future? Absolutely. So uh, I think a couple of years back, I was reading this book. Uh, the book was called The 100-Year Life. And, you know, the, the tendency or basically the, the culture upbringing that we all had was, you know, you grow up, you study, you go to college, you have a, a fixed job for about, I don't know, 40 years, and then you retire. But that's was, and then you go for a pension, 20, 30 years. Now, this, the 100-year life book kind of changed the way I saw things because it has a perspective of saying things are continuously in motion. You cannot be attached to one specific job title or one specific role for more than 40 years because life expectancy is too big, uh, too, too large, getting to 100 years. So you have to always redefine yourself, your goal, your objectives. Now, when Winston Churchill said, it's always wise to look ahead, but difficult to look further than you can see, we sometimes uh, 
see too far ahead and actually not focus on the tasks at hand. You know, uh, Peter Thiel famously said, you know, we wanted the flying cars, instead we got 140 characters. We are still looking for flying cars. There are some flying cars already out there, functional, but having them in a mass production, in service, it definitely is going to come pretty soon. But to reach there, you have to start building the building blocks. So when you, when you think about mobility as well right now and, and the future mm-hmm. of mobility, there is a lot of aspirations to essentially say, okay, we are going to achieve this right now, but we actually miss the basic components. Are we figuring out, okay, how we are going to treat the customers? Do we know how this uh, asset that we have are going to be repurposed? Do we know how the data is going to be actually optimizing this to, to fit the future of mobility? So there are building blocks that we have to make before we reach the, the final euphoric state of, okay, we have full mobility service, the city is not congested, we have everything working in unison. So it's more like, let's focus on what is at hand, brick by brick, and we'll definitely reach and build the house that we envision. So that's kind of an inspirational quote for me. And usually when I'm working on the future of mobility, I always try to break down into the bricks as much as, much as possible and then building it, building it up. So that's why this kind of inspires me as a starting point. Thank you. Very, very interesting. It reminds me a little bit of the quote I opened with from Kierkegaard, life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. And Santa, this is the time of the year when we think about this. Is uh, Just a personal question for you. Is is 2020 impacting you in any way? Are you thinking, oh my goodness, as I said in the opening, it's not just another year, it's a whole new decade opening up to us. Is Does this have any, any big impact on you as somebody who is in the automotive industry, who is looking forward? Is this a big deal in other words yes yes it's absolutely a big deal and the reason is it's not only the big uh, a big decade uh, like uh, the next decade that's coming up but if you see uh, not only in the automotive industry but in mobility as a whole uh, there is kind of a 15 year 20 year cycle where especially the transit companies are thinking of mm-hmm. what is the next future what are the stacks what should i kind of figure out for the next 10 years 15 years there's a lot of uh, cities coming up saying, okay, vision 2025, vision 2030. And usually the decade is a turning point for them. So in our case, in, in my case as well, I'm really thinking how can this vision and our vision kind of fit and make sure that the future of mobility is as smooth as we want it to be. So yes, definitely it's a turning point. It's a big, a big year. I, I, I hope it's going to be a big year for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you for answering my impromptu question. That's what we're doing today. A lot of impromptu chat about this topic because it's so big. Ashwin Manapali has sent me a quote from Willy Brandt, the former Chancellor of Germany. Willy Brandt's original name, he was born with the name Herbert Ernst Karl Fromm, F-R-A-H-M, 1913 to 1992. German politician and statesman who led the Social Democratic Party of Germany from 1964 to 87 and was Chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany. That was West Germany from 69 to 74. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1971, and he was the first social democrat chancellor since 1930. Here's the quote. Now, I'm going to do my best, Ashwin, to pronounce the German part of the quote appropriately. You are more than welcome to correct me. Here's the quote from Willy Brandt. If I am selling to you, I speak your language. If I am buying, dann müssen sie Deutsche sprechen. How did I do, Ashwin? Well enough, Bonnie. Well enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that hesitation, that, that just, that half a second of dead air was very enlightening to me. Go ahead. How in the world did you pick this, this quote? It's, it's fascinating. Go ahead. So I was fascinated by uh, the 70s and just reading a lot of history about that time, especially what was going on in Germany and so on, because a lot of the things that we are experiencing in our current world, the architecture was built during that decade. So I really started just reading a lot of things, just seeing a lot of documentaries on YouTube and so on. And this quote really struck by me because it is so central to what this whole mobility issue is about, which is Mm -hmm. that if we want to build a solution that is going to be truly global in scale and application, we really need to think about the localizations of those solutions. How does it work in different territories? And this quote is important to me because it puts the customer at everything we do, center of everything that we do, which is we need to speak their language not just the local language that they're using, but also their concerns, their worries, their hopes and dreams as well. And if we can somehow package that, I think that is going to set the way forward for 2020 and beyond. So that's why I think it applies to mobility. Thank you. It it's applies to everything we do in, in our communications, in our whether you're in sales or not. Uh, who who speaks whose language? Who who puts the foot forward to meet someone? We used mm-hmm. to say meet somebody halfway, compromise, communication, collaboration. I think that was a, a theme that Santa brought up at the beginning of the show. I did not give the translation for the second part of the quote, so I'm going to do that now. Dann müssen Sie Deutsche sprechen is then you must speak German. So the quote fully would be, if I'm selling Telling to you, I speak your language. If I'm buying, then you must speak German. And that was said again by Willy Brandt, former Chancellor of Germany. Wonderful quote, Ashwin. And I'm I'm always intrigued when I get a guest like you who says you're you're studying a certain era in history. This is important for us to, as my opening quote was, we've got to look backwards as well as look forwards. And yes, we need to learn from history. Fascinating quote. Thank you. We're going to get a little more up close and personal with both of my guests, and, and I will get get around. To asking you the same question, Ashwin, in a minute that I asked Senta. But Senta, where are you calling from today? And what are your plans for Christmas, New Year's Eve? Do you have a special drink on ice? You know, I used to ask what's in your cup when I was doing Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, and now I ask what's your favorite drink. So Senta, can you tell us a little bit about where you are and what you're going to be drinking the holidays? Yep. Uh, I Right now, I, I, I'm living in Auckland. I used to live in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. So San Francisco was a little bit congested. Uh, and I said, okay, maybe I should have a little bit of an off place and very close to my working conditions. So I'm living in Auckland. What I'm drinking right now is coffee. It's early morning here around 7.15 a.m. Uh, but I intend to actually travel uh, to, to, to the Hawaiian Islands for Christmas and New Year. And this is uh, kind of a sabbatical for me. So every time, every two years, I kind of go off the grid, mm-hmm. no internet connectivity, only hardcovered books, and over like a, a week or two, uh, calmer, re- recollecting and trying to figure out, okay, what is going to come up in the next iteration of what, what I'm doing, both in my personal life as well as in, in my in my professional life. So most probably a little bit stronger drink than, than coffee, <laughs> But that's yes. the plan for Christmas and New Year. 
And how, how what, what will that stronger drink be? You know, it's only ten seventeen a.m. here on the east coast of the U.S. But it's somebody <laughs> no, I, told me, Santa. Somebody told me it's beer o'clock somewhere in the world all the time. So you don't have to talk about <laughs> beer. But is, is there a, a an alcoholic drink that you might be in your future for New Year's Eve? You want to share something with us? No, it's definitely going to be some kind of a light beer. Uh, most probably, oh. it's going to be a, 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 a pilsner. Uh, but to a moderate extent, uh, and definitely during the Christmas and New Year's break for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. I didn't want to push you, but it's always time to talk about beer. Thank you very much. Ashwin Manapali, I have three questions for you. Where are you today, and what's your drink going to be, and what's your thought on approaching 2020 as not just a new year but a new decade? What's your personal thought on that? So, Ashwin, we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of the above. For sure. So I am currently in New York, and I am nursing a beautiful chai latte. That's mm-hmm. my morning drink of choice. And thinking about 2020, is these decades are, like Ascent has said, they are really kind of markers in time. I think the human mind processed 10 years as like a kind mm-hmm. of set. And so uh, just it's really exciting. I mean, 2020... Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to look at these magazines from like NASA and so on that has space stations and so forth. Well, we have a different kind of reality, but that is always aspirational. So 2020 is going to be really interesting. And I always think of it, uh, the 2010s as being the uh, almost the end of the beginning. And so that's almost the most exciting part to me, as in what the future is going to hold, what we're going to shape going forward. So that's my general thought of the decade ahead, and I'm incredibly optimistic and hopeful about that. I'm glad. And what's going to be in your cup, your goblet, your flute, your stein, your thermos uh, over Christmas and or for New Year's? Anything you want to share with us? Of course you do. For sure. So I am uh, actually going hiking uh, in uh, Nevada with a few of my college friends. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to kind of live off the land, as it were. So we're going to try to make some tea in the wild using the local streams and so on. It sounds a little interesting and strange. It's the first time I'm doing it. (laughs) But hope to try out some new tea, brew it out there, and see, you know, live off the land. Oh, my goodness gracious. So let me ask a different question then. If you weren't living off the land on New Year's and you were somewhere in in a more civilized environment, shall we say, Ashwin, what might you be drinking at that point in time? You have a favorite something for New Year's Eve? Hmm. Well, New Year's Eve is always an interesting time. Uh, You have to balance joy with safety because the (laughs) kids get a little bit... So I would would echo Senta on that. I would try something light. he likes Pilsner. Maybe I might try something European. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm, that would be my kind of something light and something European. That would be my two kind of categories that I'd not Interesting. Interesting. Well, gentlemen, I, I don't know if you remember, but I left New York uh, two years ago, two years and two months ago, and moved to Durham, North Carolina, where I thought I was moving to the warm south. And today the temperature is going to reach a balmy 69 degrees Fahrenheit, which is lovely. But most days in the past couple of weeks, we've been going right down to about the freezing level, 32 degrees, sometimes in the high 20s overnight. And then the range is about 30 degrees higher during the day. So I am from New York. I brought my my heavy coats with me. So when I go places, if it's under 50 degrees, I have a winter coat either wrapped around me or in the car. 
car or on my arm. And people are still walking around in shorts here. They don't care. It's it's the South. They think it's warm. So what can I tell you? Um, today is a, is a slightly rainy day, but at least the sky is fairly bright. And so we're looking. I don't know what the weather is going to be over the holidays. But uh, I am not allowed to drink caffeinated beverages, as you two probably remember on radio show days. And today I have another show an hour after this one. So I just have cool, clear water here in my cup and one of my cups, my mugs I brought from New York. But I've switched from plastic straws to silicone straws. And I actually bought some metal straws that are still in the package. I, I'll probably trot those out over the holidays and see what they taste like. Silicone straws take some getting used to, I will say. For New Year's Eve, haven't decided what I'm doing, where I'm going, or what I'm drinking, so that'll be a subject of another show. So if you're just tuning in, we're having a very interesting conversation, a lot of up close and personal with my two very special guests. We have Santa Bellet at SAP and Ashwin Manapali, and again, a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP Automotive for sponsoring the show all year long. Judy, we have such interesting guests, and thank you so much for bringing Santa and Ashwin back to me. We're talking today about the future of mobility unplugged. We've just dipped our toe in the water, if you will, or just barely turned on the engine of whatever we're driving, and we have a lot to talk about. We're going to take a quick pause here, 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. And when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive into some predictions, some looking back, some looking forward with Santa and with Ashwin. We're going to cover a lot of territory about the future of automotive. And then at the very end of the show, I'll ask them during the predictions round, the crystal ball, if they plan to have car keys anywhere near their hands by the end of 2020 we'll just do that far a look ahead and we'll see what they say about the industry so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial however you're listening to us we're so glad you're here but don't go away as one of my favorite tv hosts says stay we'll be right back Aaron, out Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham speaking, still with Santa Bellet and Ashwin Manapali at SAP. And our topic today is the future of mobility unplugged. That's right. The word cars and automotive is not in the title of this episode. We're taking a broader view and looking at mobility. We're about to start the roundtable, the formal version of the roundtable. But we have been going around the table with my two very savvy, articulate, and I'm going to say charming guests. 
And we're going to start off with one statement sent us, sent me before the show, and then he's going to explain it, and I'll ask Ashwin to comment. Then I'll pick a statement from Ashwin's list, and we'll go back and forth and see how much we can cover with their thoughts about looking back and looking forward about mobility. So Santa sent me the following. He said, urban centers are becoming congested and solving this requires an ecosystem of private and public parties coming together. Ashwin, why don't you take about two minutes to explain this and then we'll see what Ashwin, that's Santa, and then we'll ask Ashwin to chime in and Ashwin, I'll pick one of your statements. Go ahead, Santa. Yep, yep. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. So uh, 2017, I, I think it was, it was 2017, like around two years ago, going to be three years. So I was in Europe. It was a railways uh, user group event. And we have a lot of different railways uh, representing their cities, their regions, sharing their ideas, their their thought processes, and some of the uh, achievements that they have achieved using technology, using assets in terms of elevating uh, congestion in, 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 in urban centers. So one of the things that uh, this specific customer uh, was mentioning was how they actually understood people's movements in a station. So in Europe, the stations have been there for quite a while, very mm-hmm. much uh, older buildings, but uh, technology-wise, they have been uh, refurbishing them with a lot of uh, IoT devices, a lot of Wi-Fi capability, a lot of uh, different tech that they have been refurbishing them. And one of the things that they did was trying to understand people's movement when they go in and out of those stations. Now, what they, what they found out was, even though by default we think that there's always a peak hour and non-peak hours, but moving those uh, behaviors of people in terms of congestion and enticing them either with the freebies or even information, giving them in advance saying, you know, it's going to be congested at this time, uh, please plan five minutes ahead or five minutes earlier, those had a lot of effect in terms of congestion. So the idea is it's not a one entity making things happen, but having technology helping you both understanding the people aspect, how people are moving, and doing something mm-hmm. about it with different uh, enticing mechanisms. It might be through, through the retailers, it might be through them operations, or even just informing other people. So congestion is not a one-player thing, it's an ecosystem, but the technology helps you to understand what exactly is happening, and then you can do something about it. So that's my meaning of uh, it's, uh, it's congestion is not a one-game a one show, but an ecosystem show. Thank you. Fascinating. I love the idea of knowing where people are and how they're moving. And that's absolutely on point. You need to know before you can do anything about it or if you need to do anything about it. Ashwin Manapali, join us. What do you think about what Senta shared? Agree or disagree? Any comments you'd like to add? I actually love the way that he was able to articulate it. And the way I'm thinking about it in my mind is that we have all of this cool new technology, right? Ride hailing, whether it's uh, rail or whatever it is that is increasing the frequency of travel by literally Mm -hmm. lowering the amount of cost and effort that it takes to move from place to place. And they're responding to this incentive, but there's a kind of unintended consequence, which is that the more they travel, the more they want to travel to certain places. And I think that's causing a lot of congestion and so on. But the really exciting thing about what Senta talked about is that people respond to incentives and just as they responded to the lowering of the travel or cost barrier, if they get like an alert or saying plan five minutes earlier, it's almost as if the tools that created the problem can solve the problem as well. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. the natural extension of uh, what he suggested also is 
that, you know, it's going to take all of us working together, cities, municipalities, governments, and yes. private industry, technology companies, in order to make orchestrate that whole process and make it as seamless as possible and so that we can have relatively congestion-free uh, I, I like landscapes. that. The idea of working together, I, I'd like to say WCOH. We can only hope. Right? <laughs> that, 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 would, that would be a hope. And I have to tell you that there's a new type of vehicle here in my community where I live in North Carolina. It's a 55 plus, I will admit to that much. People own golf carts that they decorate, especially they have like have parades going up and down the street on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And uh, I don't think we had a Thanksgiving Day parade, but when the, even if the weather's cold, people trot out their golf carts and they put flags on them and they put decorations on them. And sometimes they have those little side curtains on them and for a very local uh, commute if you will how many blocks to the clubhouse or to their neighbor's houses they will use these golf carts these motorized golf carts to get from place to place and I have never seen this in my life and no I'm not buying one let's leave that one on the table Ashwin we are going to move maybe they're doing that in Europe too I don't know it's a different version of a bike you don't have to pedal you just turn it on and it goes putt putt Ashwin I'm looking at your notes here and you gave me a nice segue in what you said before let me read a little bit from your first two comments. You say ride-sharing companies such as Lyft and Uber have gone public in 2019. And this is something you, you said in the opening. I think this decade will mark the end of the beginning for mobility as a service. Then you add in your next statement, the equity markets are signaling to these companies that the version one of their mobility solutions is not quite there yet. Okay, Ashwin, let's get your take on what's happening with these mobility solutions. Where are we? So I think it was an inc- the idea that, say, in 2000, that from your phone, you can order a cab to your uh, front door and go directly door to door to where you want to go. It almost seemed like science fiction. So I think there's an incredible amount of energy and effort that it went into building these companies around the world is truly staggering. And I think I'm really impressed by what they were able to do. And I think... What we're going to have to figure out as a little bit of a challenge is how do we make them long-term profitable? And thinking through those various uh, challenges that we're going to face, we're going to have to literally leverage a lot of the data that we're collecting, a lot of the incentives that we have to align. And so that is going to be, I think, an incredible um, and exciting challenge, quite frankly, in uh, 2020 and beyond. So that's where my mind was when I was thinking about this thing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Santa, let's get your thoughts on what Ashwood just shared with us. What do you think? Yep. Um, um, so lists and Uber and rideshare, I mean, as you said, like, uh, it's uh, like the equity market is watching. Uh, the customers are watching. There is a lot of uh, work that's being done by region, by different cities. You know, working in New York, uh, Ubers versus New York versus regulators. There's a lot of things that are happening at the same time, both in the technology space and the equitable space, you know, private enterprise and then public enterprise providing mobility in the cities, uh, rural areas. So, as you said, it's their version one is not there yet, uh, but version two or most probably, at least in my view, it's like a kind of a collaboration between both the private operators like the likes of Uber and Lyft, as well as the city, especially the large cities, which have millions of customers with well-established transit companies, but not necessarily having that on-demand concept up to par. You know, there's always like, oh, I am going on a public transit. 
there is going to be bounded delay. There's going there is some kind of a invisible shield that's not allowing people to go in that direction because of efficiency, because of customer centricity. I think the version two that's going to come most probably in the next decade is some kind of a collaboration between the private entities like the lists and the and the public enterprises, and making sure like the public at large, especially in large urban centers, is going to go from A to B seamlessly in any type of a different mode. So I'm really hopeful that uh, the version 2 is more of a collaborative type of solutions that are coming into play vis-a-vis I am the private sector and I am the public sector provider of transit mm-hmm. in the city. So that's my, my hope as well, uh, Ashwin. Thank you very much. I just want to reflect on something, Ashwin, uh, recent news about, I think it was London did not renew the license for Uber and what this does to impact. I don't want to talk about the business model for Uber, but do you think other cities will say no to this type of ride hailing, that they will say it's too unregulated, there are too many issues, it's not part of our mobility plans? Any thoughts on where that's going to go around the world or not? So I am a long-term believer in mobility as a service, if it comes Mm -hmm. in ride hailing or if it comes in different flavors. And I think because the customer really enjoys the experience, we still have to iron out some frictions. We have to iron out some environmental issues, labor issues, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that I'm long on that position, which is I'm hopeful in what we can achieve, especially in the right-hailing space. And I view these, for example, the London issue as more of a temporary blip that we need to kind of really sit down, mm-hmm. gather all the stakeholders, and it might not kind of get format of version 2 might not look exactly like we're thinking. It's going to be shaped by a few different hands, but I do think that it, it is not as hopeless as it sounds, and I'm actually quite optimistic yeah. about what we can do. And, and, that, and if I might add on that one, yes. like, uh, the regions, uh, like for example, London, as you say, New York, as you say, they are really large, well-established cities, but there are you know major developing cities like Shanghai, like Sao Paulo, which are really coming up more and more faster. But in terms of the leverage of technology and regulations, a little bit more flexible as well. So one of the one of my customers that I was talking to, I think in in, in European context, one of the things that he mentioned is like this has been a city that has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. We have had trams and the public trams working but not necessarily as much as the customer wants them to be. Nonetheless, we still have this customer base that still wants to be you know, environmentally friendly, uh, eco-driven, at the same time going from A to B. So they really want to utilize the latest advances in technology, having your iPhone telling you, please give me an auto... Uh, an aut- uh, uh, automated drive and then taking from A to B vis-a-vis, mm-hmm. you know, you driving it. So the technology and the region kind of has a lot of say in it and the existing industries really need to work with the new uh, industries to actually make us, the public, have a more seamless travel. I'm also really good, uh, great delivery mobile service where the public and, and the private comes together. 
Thank you. Good conversation there. And, and uh, Santa, you just brought up the statement in your list I was going to read next. Let me just get this out of the way, and then I'm going to move on to talk about data. You say regulations do affect the rate of innovation, but they also provide the most equitable playing field for the future of mobility in cities. So I want to move on from that since you brought it up. Let's talk about data. This has been a big, big controversy in terms of uh, cars becoming, automobiles becoming a hub. Uh, Larry Stoley, who, with whom I worked, who was the first sponsor of this series, Larry left us a couple of years ago, way too soon, uh, from a heart attack, and, and we still miss him. And I'm grateful to him for starting this Future of Cars with Game Changers series so many years ago. But Larry used to say, "We as humans will become the cargo in the car, in in whatever transportation it is. We will not be the drivers. We will be in the backseat, being moved from place to place, A to B. So here, you, and then the question became: as more and more technology comes into the car, which becomes the hub, and we are in the back seat or the middle seat and we are watching movies, we're on our phone, we're doing work, we're watching TV, we're listening to radio, whatever it is, and we're exchanging interactively data from our mobile devices through some kind of a, of a Wi-Fi connection. Who owns that data? Where does it go? What if somebody hacks it? So let me read some comments here from Santa Belay and we'll discuss. He says, data will be the more valuable commodity vis-a-vis the physical mobility objects in urban mobility space. And then he adds, ads, data ownership and exchange in a platform-to-platform approach should be encouraged as no one platform will solve the future of mobility in urban areas. So, Santa, you want to take a broad view on this data and data ownership, please, relating to a little bit about what I just said or wherever you want to take it. Go ahead. Yeah, I would definitely would go with the way you put it up because it's really spot on. So, uh, Thank you. The, let's say Tesla, for example, right? Tesla is a car company, is a technology company, is a data company. We are still figuring out as most of us are. But one of the things that we see is, for example, they can send you a patch of, of software and overnight or even as soon as that patch is updated, your energy or your driving range could be changed. The same way uh, when autonomous driving comes into play, uh, it will be like, I don't care whether it's a Tesla car coming to me or a Mercedes or a BMW, as long as a car is coming to me. How do I control it? By my mobile app. So, and who is going to allocate that specific Tesla to my location to take me to a, a, from A to B? And, and, uh, and, and as soon as it arrives at B, somebody else is going to take it over as well. So it's data that is going to manipulate the movements of people rather than the physical objects as well. So in my prediction, for example, I think all Teslas will be equivalent. Uh, uh, all cars will be as good as Teslas when it comes to mm. uh, their patchability and, and, and availability and autonomous, maybe 10 years, 15 years down the line. But the data and manipulation data will be very critical. On the second point, though, is... Uber is really doing great, Lyft is doing really great when it comes to customer centricity, but they are still a siloed platform on their own. They are still working with a lot of different providers. Uh, They are working with a lot of cities, as you mentioned, London, New York. There are a bit of uh, ups and downs, but they are working together. So I think in the future, it's more about people movements and whether I take an Uber or a Lyft or a Transit or a Tesla, Mm-hmm. It should be seamlessly uh, helping me, and the platform should be working together in an equitable manner. So that's what I feel like is going to happen. It will not be siloed in the future, 
but things will come closer and closer from the customer-centricity perspective, but the, the, the players will iron it out, I believe. Thank you. Ashwin, join us. What do you think about data and our, our data being transmitted back and forth into the vehicle in which we're riding or driving and the whole concept of data as part of understanding our mobility needs? What's your thought? I think this is a very key thing that we kind of place our finger on. And the way I think about it is that one of the things that's happening with mobility as a service and a few other things like that is that transportation is becoming commodified in commoditized in the sense of you don't really care which vehicle you're driving. It just gets you from place to place. Mm -hmm. So this places a lot of um, incumbent players in a little bit of a question. They have to ask the question, which is in a world where they don't care, as long as it's got wheels and walls, it gets me to where I want to go. How can I deliver that experience to them that makes them want to choose my product or my service as opposed to anything else? Mm-hmm. And the way to understand it, I think, is that there's going to we are generating a lot of data. So one use case might be that you're able to have some sort of uh, a permission form where you say, okay, you can share my data with my supply, um, automotive mobility provider or whoever it is. And, for example, infotainment. Uh, in the vehicle, so you have nothing to do in the car other than watch Netflix or something else like that. Mm-hmm. So you can do that, or if you're more productivity-oriented and the data reveals that you're more productivity-oriented, you get a kind of productivity suite that is served up to you. So it's it's one of these things where we really have to ask the question because our customers are asking the question. And so thinking through what kind of services and experiences that we can offer in this new mobility world uh, it's going to be a very challenging and interesting thing. And I think the experience is going to be the central way that we have to interrogate that question and figure out what kinds of cool um, data-backed services we can offer in this new world. I'm glad you brought up the E-word experience. I neglected to bring that up when I was talking about us being the cargo who are using communications and mobility to our own benefit while we don't have to drive. Thank you. Ashwin, I'm looking at uh, one of your, let's see, when your fourth statement here on mobility subscription, I think we should talk about this. You say recurring revenue is predictable and it increases the lifetime value of a customer in, in mobility subscriptions. Instead of having to pay per ride, What if you pay a flat fee every month? And then you say there's a data science problem here, however. So why don't you take us into how do people, how do the services figure out how much they want to charge us? And what kind of mobility subscriptions are we talking about? Can you set the scene for me, please? For sure. So I was in California a few weeks ago, and basically I got an email that basically said, if you want to kind of subscribe to this pro version of our service, uh, you have, you know, if you pay a monthly flat fee, you get certain rewards and privileges, and it's a way for them to lock me in as a customer, so their acquisition costs go, customer acquisition costs go down, but also that, you know, I get certain perks out of it as well. And to me, I think that this is the way that a lot of the startups in 2010s were built, this idea of getting recurring revenue and so on, so that it it's profitable, long-term profitable. So I think it's a data science problem because we're quite not there yet in terms of what is the pot of honey that they need to offer me in order for me to lock in this flat fee or dynamic, you know, 
rate or something else like that. And the other thing, I think this center mentioned this earlier, is there's a certain set of incentives that we need to offer. For example, if you want to move someone who's marginal about choosing your service and the subscription versus someone who's really into it. So we really need to figure out what that pot of honey is going to be. And I think that's a data science problem in that we need to figure out, okay, what are the things that I value as a writer? Say that I like going to museums. Perhaps there's a discount that's offered, and I'm thinking of the world of credit card rewards. So we start to think along those models as well, and we just really need to understand the problem, and I think 2020 is going to be trying to make some good headway against what kind of things that we can do with the data that we have in order to get these subscriptions as a key revenue driver. What would you be willing to pay? What do you prefer? Hmm. It's interesting. I think 30 was the offer that was uh, presented to me, and I think... It's quite not there yet. So we, I need to figure out because I need to go back to the incentive form and see like, hey, if you like cancel your ride within five minutes, you don't get a penalty. And these are the sort of things that they have. It sounds cool, but I need to see a little bit more or a little bit lower cost for me to kind of jump on board. Hmm, let's find out what Cinta has to say. Cinta, what's the, the break even? What's the break point for you to join a subscription, mobility subscription service? What do you think? Is there a dollar amount? Um, uh, I w- no, I, w- I would actually say there is an experience amount, and, and there, there is uh-huh. an experience amount. So, uh, I mean, like, I, I remember my first car that I bought, I think it was 1996, but I kind of only remember the brand, that, that's it. Uh, I, but I do remember with whom I was traveling, where I, did, where, where I traveled with, with it, and, and, and so forth. So, even the, tar- the locations and so on. So, that experience mattered more than what I had at that time. So I, maybe 10 years down the line, I would think of this, the car that I own right now saying, okay, this is the car that I, it won't be about the car, but what type of experience that I had with it. So we all know from data, like maybe 5% of the time is the car being used, but the other 95% is parked somewhere. So if experience is dominating the way we travel, the way we move around, there is essentially uh, a service that's going to be rendered for us that we will remember and we really are not attached to a specific assets per se. So I think, for example, if I'm living in New York or versus I'm mm-hmm. living in San Francisco, there will be a, a specific price tag that I would say, yes, I'm okay for this one as long as it takes me to the right place that I have. I think there will be a break-even point depending on you know the service that is rendered. But I'm definitely thinking that in the long run, I would not have a car. I'm pretty sure I'm going to go for a subscription where mm. that subscription gets me what I want. But I cannot say a specific price for it for sure right now. But yeah, that's what I feel. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get in a few minutes to our crystal ball predictions. Here. And I have to tell the two of you, when uh, I was working with SAP and I had to go downtown, to uh, down in the in the village, I guess the year I forget the uh, the street it was on, to the office, and I would take the train, uh, the Long you. Island Railroad, What's that? Oh, okay. Here you in Palo Alto or in, in New York? No, I'm, and I was in New York for the past 30 years, and, okay. and I was working for SAP, and I had to go downtown to the office uh, on occasion, not often. I'm usually working mobile, and um, I would take the Long Island Railroad. I, I lived eight blocks from the station, take the Long Island Railroad. I'd walk, and then I'd go to the city, and I would get a cab downtown, go to the office, and then when I came back, I needed to get back to the LIRR on 34th Street, and I would go to get a cab. It usually took 
Ooh, let's see. Um, between 8 and 20 minutes to actually be able to hail a cab on the busy street corner, a couple blocks from the office, where all the cabs were, because most of them were filled. It was about 5 o'clock. I get in the cab, and I would find out that it was uh, rush hour. Uh, there was a rush hour addition, an added service charge of a couple of dollars that was automatically put onto the fare. I had to wait longer than usual to get the cab, and they were charging me more for the privilege of getting there. And not anyway, it was, it was very interesting. So talking about pricing, it, when you're in the cab environment, the taxi environment, and I, I'm all for cabbies and all that, but y- y- we were subject to whatever pricing it was. You know, how many miles, how many dollars or cents per mile, and what did they change the rates? We never knew. You never knew what you were going to end up charged. Anyway, just a comment there. I think we have time for one more topic we could squeeze in before Crystal Ball. And let's go to something about delivery. So I'm looking, Santa, at your fifth statement. You say the often not too visible last mile delivery when it comes to congestion is one area that can provide relief to congestion in cities when approached through all stakeholders. And I think you're talking about, we're talking about the the uh, collaboration and cooperation of the ecosystem of private and public parties coming together, which you mentioned in your first statement. So when we talk about last mile delivery, you're talking about furniture, you're talking about food, you're talking about uh, wholesale, you're talking about retail. What? Give us a, a scenario here, please. Um, Amazon. So I go online and yes. I say I want this item and deliver to me. And then mm-hmm. somehow in the background, there will be a warehouse, there will be a, a fulfillment center, there will be a, a, a last mile truck delivery, and there will be a person that's going to come and deliver it at my location, right? Mm-hmm. So all that thing happens in the background, but the assets are moving, the people are moving, the city uh, roads are providing those infrastructures. Now, mm-hmm. when you see all the players involved, if it is free for all and everybody does it at their own time frame, especially during rush hours or normal day uh, working hours, there will be a lot of trucks moving at the same time and there will be a lot of congestion. So there was this study that was done with New York and with specific stakeholders. They took the restaurants, the commercial uh, entities, and then they worked with them saying, okay, can we push the deliveries for in the morning uh, before the rush hour starts or in the evenings? That had uh, two times efficiency both for the deliverers as well as the, the city itself. The, the deliveries, it was not congested for them, so they actually were faster in delivering the items that they were supposed to deliver. Mm-hmm. So it has to be more the city supporting it. It has to be the commerciality saying, yes, we will accept deliveries at night. And it should uh, be also the, the, the fulfillment center saying, okay, we are okay to actually work after, during the night times to make everybody's life much more easier. So depending on where you are, it's always uh, a way that you should work together. Otherwise, it's going to be everybody coming out at 8 a.m. to deliver something, and we'll all stand still. There you go. I, I will tell you that here in my Durham area, we get Amazon Prime delivery trucks up and down the streets all day long, but sometimes they come in a private car. Sometimes they're in an unmarked van, and you never know. I have a blink camera at my front door, and so if I'm not home, I can see who approached the door. Sometimes they ring the bell. Sometimes they put it on the 
bench I have outside. Sometimes they put it on the ground outside the door. Uh, I never know <laughs> what they're... And sometimes when I ask Alexa, where's my stuff, which you're supposed to say, she says a delivery is expected and it's already been delivered an hour before and the person either didn't click it into their whatever device they have to acknowledge that they delivered it or it didn't go through the system yet. So I'm being told it hasn't been delivered yet. Sometimes a day early it comes and they still don't mark it as delivered in the system. So I, I get a real kick out of this uh, last minute delivery. So anyway, uh, last mile delivery. I'm going to go to Ashwin. We're technically in the crystal ball predictions round right now. We've been talking forward thinking. We've been talking predictions about mobility, transportation, subscription models. Uh, and now it's time to ask each of you. I'll start with you, Ashwin. Ashwin Manapali, Strategic Projects Lead in IBU Automotive at SAP. What would you like to predict between, let's just take it for next year, 2020 to the end of 2020? What specifically do you think will change in terms of what will be on the roads? Who will be on the roads? Anything like that. And will you have or do you still have the keys to your own car? Will you still have them by the end of 2020? Ashwin, I can give you 90 seconds. Go ahead. For sure. The answer to the second question is much easier. I don't have the keys to my own car because I'm in an <laughs> urban environment. And the fees and uh, other things associated with it just don't make it economic sense to me. So I use a lot of ride hailing and so on. So that's uh, the fairly easy one. I think one year might not, we might not see the world change about a thing, uh, but I do think we're going to see a lot of brand extension in a lot of mobility providers, especially on our mobility as service. What I mean by that is you're going to see companies like Lyft They're already doing it, get into helicopters, get into freight, get into other things. And we're going to see them become, well, like, when you think of the word photocopy, you think of Xerox. When you think of the word, uh, I don't know, like, like, you know what I mean? The verbization of this. Mm -hmm. I think Uber is trying to make that play for transportation. So I think we're going to see a lot more establishment of, of that. And we're going to start seeing that flow through the financials to see the future of these companies. So that's going to be really exciting for me to watch. Thank you, Ashwin. Santa Belay, I've got 90 seconds with your name on them. Go ahead. What do you predict? So uh, prediction-wise, I believe uh, mobility as a service is basically growing up. Uh, most either technology providers, uh, the automotive OEMs, and the transit companies are going to come in in an agreement that you know it's uh, it's not an, a one for all. It's, it's not a, a one player wins everything. It's a collaboration type of an approach. So I think there will be directions in that respect. On my own personal side, the, I will still have the keys, but I think I will still go one step and have an e uh, electric car first, mm. and then maybe two three years down the line, I will give up my keys altogether when the promise of autonomous comes into play especially if it's working well with the existing transit companies that I'm usually using as well when it comes in the cities. And, and not to forget, for the short trips, uh, there's still the limes, the scooters that are actually doing a, a fabulous job when it comes to like less than two-mile range. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely I will not be stuck with one uh, mobile uh, provider, but uh, a consortium for sure. Very interesting. Well, gentlemen, I still drive. I love my sports cars, and I'm on my fifth Z. 
used to be Datsun, now it's Nissan, a 370Z. It's pearl white. It's a red rag top with red leather upholstery inside, and it just makes me happy to drive it. I only drive two or three days a week <laughs> to my drum lesson or to go to an open mic night or go to the movies or, or go visit my daughter a half hour away, but that's about it. But I still adore my car. I paid cash for it. It's in the garage, and I love my car. And I'm, Mama's not giving up the keys anytime soon, so <laughs> There you go. I had the 79, the 86, the 93, the 2008, and this is the 2017, and I just adore it. So they're too hot this this summer here to put the top down very often, but it was still a lot of fun with the red hair blowing in the breeze. I'll leave you with that thought. I want to thank Santa Belay and Ashwin Manapali. It's been just absolutely delightful and interesting speaking with both of you, and I thank you again to series sponsor Judy Cubis at SAP. Judy, we got to keep this moving in 2020, so I hope you'll be back. Shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. How appropriate. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Santa Belay and just like Ashwin Manapali. I'll see you in an hour at 12 noon Eastern right here on the Business Channel with a new live edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers, talking about finance and the CFO office. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.